From the studios of WHUP LP in Hillsboro, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged In your trachea Goodness gracious bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. It is a packed weekend. We had U.S. grappling, submission only yesterday, Kasai Pro, where our very own Caitlin Huggins and Junio Casio competed. A ton of that is going on, but we wanted, and, and we will cover all of that, possibly in a bonus show this week. Lourdes Cantu uh, was up in New York City getting interviews with everybody, including the winners of the event, Hanato Canuto, who performed incredibly well, and I think it was a real breakout performance for him. So we'll have a bunch of that audio for you uh, in the coming weeks, but the uh, Today, uh, we wanted to have a full conversation with somebody in our local scene who's actually a Coach of the Year nominee. Now, the Dirty White Bill Awards uh, have been judged, and we're going to have an entire show announcing who won on December 17th. We have a ton of great nominees, and let me tell you, I'm glad I recruited a judging panel of seven people from all up and down the East Coast because there were so many good nominees that I didn't want to have to pick all on my own. So thanks to everybody who helped out with that. And so we're going to give you a bunch of content on the awards. We're going to give a bunch of content on uh, the Kasai Pro and a bunch of content on U.S. Grappling. That'll all come later this week, so please stay tuned for that. But in the studio with me for a full hour is Coach Will Lusheen from uh, Hibero Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, Will, welcome to the studio. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality gis, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. So for those who may not be familiar with you, maybe we could get start talk start by talking about how you got into jiu-jitsu, about your own journey in the martial arts. I understand you did MMA and nogi and things oh, yeah. like that. So, so what got you started and uh, what brought you to where you are today? I, I grew up doing martial arts, so the, the regular karate, karate kid was my hero growing up. I loved, <laughs> I loved the, uh, the crane kick, but then uh, got into wrestling in high school, wrestled a lot, got into the Marine Corps, and uh, that's where I really started my martial arts journey. Uh, when I was a, uh, what was it, 2004, I, I went to a school, a martial arts instructor school. They kind of just threw the best, if, if you were in shape, you went to that school, so you could teach everybody else how to fight. And uh, that's when I met uh, Philip Wyman. He's, he's actually still my professor. He's, uh, he's running the, the uh, gym that, that I train at now. So uh, I met him in the Marine Corps, and he taught me how to be a martial arts instructor. He get, really got me into martial arts, and we got into MMA. So we created our own little team. We called it FAMA, Freeloaders Academy of Martial Arts. <laughs> so we didn't teach for, and we didn't pay for any uh, any instruction. So we went out and we fought. We won a bunch of titles and championships throughout Virginia and uh, North Carolina. And then we, uh, so I went from there, did the uh, the MMA thing for a while. Went pro, uh, had mixed successes there. <laughs> and then uh, the Marine Corps kind of moved us both around. So he left, I left. Uh, I started my own team, and uh, we actually did really well in the grappling scene. We did okay in the MMA scene, but uh, the no-gi grappling is where we, we excelled. And then uh, 
I just recently retired from the Marine Corps in the last couple of years. I've been focusing on less getting punched in the face and more arm bars and chokes. So I really got into jujitsu. Yeah, you're you're getting more civilized, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, now you, we were talking off air. Old about how, civilized, same thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm allergic to getting punched in the face these days too. So, so I'm glad to hear that. And so now you're teaching pretty regularly. You've been teaching since 2005. Uh, yeah. But now you uh, you run a successful program, and maybe tell us about the program. Uh, the kids program we have is is amazing. Um, well, throughout the whole 757, our kids are just amazing. So that, that really helps having the competition local for all the uh, open mats and all the training we do. But the uh, Virginia Beach Jiu-Jitsu, we really focus on our kids program. We're, uh, we're pushing the kids really hard in training. We have a lot of up-and-comers, but we, we've got a really solid core group of competitors. So we got Christina Lynn. She's, she's got to be the number one ranked kid. Every, like everywhere she goes, she, there's a lot of people who don't want to fight her. She, has to, uh, she went up to Kentucky this last weekend and... It was hard for her to even find a fight, so she went. She went up against a 16-year-old, and threw two arm bars on real quick. So everybody sees her videotapes, and they don't really want to be involved with that. So it's hard for her to find a fight, but she is, she is crazy good. Um, and then also in our gym, we got uh, Gavin Ocampo. He got third in the uh, Pan Ams last year, and that kid is just—he is so technical. He's he's one of our smaller fighters, but man, that. He knows so much jujitsu, and he just rolls so smoothly that uh, he he's going to be a force to reckon with. Especially when he gets a little bit more muscle on, and he gets a little bit bigger, he's going to be impossible to stop. So uh, we got those two. We got Patrick. Uh, Patrick Martin went up to with uh, Christina, and he fought he fought a really tough fight. It was a uh, draw, but some technical technical jujitsu up there. And then uh, we got some up and comers. Uh, we got Allison Medina. Uh, she's an armbar. She's an armbar. I don't want to say queen because that's that's Christina Lynn. So we got the princess, the armbar princess, uh, throwing them on. She's she's been hitting the local scenes. Uh, her mom and dad take her up the entire. Like she's been at Philly, she's been in New York, she's been to Jersey, uh, just nonstop competitor. And she is bringing home gold medals. Uh, just armbar, armbar, armbar. So she's a, she's a um, up and comer. We also got um, Emmy Hansen. She's she's the same thing. She's just. She's a terror on the mat. She's just nonstop moving, nothing but energy. Uh, so we got some up and comers, but uh, our our program's very successful because we got a lot of a lot of coaches that really put a lot of time and effort into it. Uh, professor Philip Wyman, we got um, Scott Oates, Bob Francis used to be one of our professors, and he really worked with Christina Lynn a lot too on her game. And then we also got Ted Lynn, mm. who uh, is always uh, always around the kids. So we got a good mixture of coaches who. We're all good at certain things. We all get different leadership styles, so kids kind of gravitate towards one, and then when they need a little bit more discipline, we throw the other one in there. So it's a really good tag team partner that we got. Um, we're not A lot of teams are focused on their adult program and adult competitions, but we really – really focus a lot on our kids program yeah and it's really helpful like you said to have multiple different voices to, to that yeah. one of those is certain to resonate with the kids and you know a lot of folks in the triangle will, will remember philip wyman from competing on one of the last couple of toro cup cards yep. and so it's nice that you all get to work together and everybody who's listened to the show knows about christina lynn who is also up for for uh, one of the dirty Bell awards which will be which will be announced uh, next week so i'm curious like when you when you got started teaching martial arts, obviously you were not teaching kids at that time. No. So how did that come to be, and what do you get that's different out of teaching kids that's that you would that would be different, different, rewarding in the same way, rewarding in a different way from teaching adults? Uh, teaching the kids, I, I find you got to be a lot more patient, obviously, with the kids. They they're not going to pick it up the way the adults do, and you also just have to come up with different ways uh, of teaching kids. However. I've started teaching some of my adults the same way I teach my kids. Like when we're talking about armbar defense, we're talking about uh, triangle chokes. I'm talking about 
going towards the hand and people people can't remember which direction so I'm like hey just imagine they have ice cream and you always want that ice cream so get your head towards their hand and I teach the adults that same way and they kind of remember it that way so it's it's crazy a, a lot of adults listening to this show right now are gonna are, are, are I think really susceptible to the ice cream trick <laughs> you, know, you know who you are so <laughs> so yeah so uh, so you've had experience coaching a wide array of ages and so obviously but obviously you've competed yourself at a high level you mentioned you oh, yeah. had a professional MMA career competed no gi you've competed in the gi what do you think that uh, do, do you enjoy like I don't know if this is true I don't know if different things are true at different times in your life, mm-hmm. but like, do you think it's kind of a there's a time to teach and a time to compete, or do you think you get different things out of teaching than you do uh, out of I'm, competing? I'm still very big in the uh, competition scene, so I'm going out to the pans in March. I'm I'm still hitting all the IBJJF tournaments, so I'm kind of competing and coaching at the same time. But I honestly, if a kid hits a technique and he wins a tournament, I am more excited for him than when I get off the mats after a win. Like watching them. Seeing where they came from and then seeing where they are now, especially if they hit something that we've been drilling and drilling and drilling, and I see that it's stuck and it actually worked, and then seeing them like get excited and jump off the mats and high five and like that is the most rewarding uh, aspect. Uh, I kind of gravitate, I don't know, to the to the little girls more than anything, more because when they they step on the mat for the first day, they're more nervous than the boys are. The boys love to just grab each other and throw each other around and rough and tumble. I don't really see too many. Uh, boys in my class when they first show up that are really timid but the girls are really shy they're really they want to stay off the mat they're hiding behind their moms and then you see them progress into they're the first ones on the mat and they're they're the ones throwing everybody around and they're winning the gold medals and you can just see their confidence change and you can see they're they're excited to be out there and they're not that timid little uh, girl anymore they're they're actually one of our most uh, outspoken um, teammates now they're always jumping all over everybody and grabbing uh, like grabbing my hand and saying hey coach let's let's go work on this so it's cool to see that transition and I'm, and that's honestly that's the best in my experience that's the best time and the way to learn jiu-jitsu is that you know to develop that as a young person oh, yeah. who's smaller so your technique has to be on point mm-hmm. and then it kind of grows up with you and so your game expands accordingly and you and I were talking about the growth that we're going to see in jiu-jitsu oh, from these kids in the next that's coming crazy. years yeah, I went up to uh, Richmond yesterday. I was coaching our kids, and not even our kids, but the whole 757 is just, man, it's blowing up. We got, um, obviously, Christina Lynn. We got um, we got Hicks. We got that that kid is ridiculous. Like, he's throwing all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, um, he's really expanding his game. Uh, we got AD. She's a Pan Am's champ, and she's throwing triangle after triangle. So uh, the kids... They're gonna be crazy in about ten years. I'm I'm done with jujitsu. Nah. <laughs> like kids are gonna be kids are gonna be teaching me how to do some jujitsu. Uh, I'm I'm seeing them do Peruvian neckties. I'm watching kids do loop chokes. I'm, it's it's kind of scary as a coach. I used to just teach, hey, this is a scissor sweep, this is a bump sweep, and this is how you defend it. Now I'm like, oh, this is a spider guard, this is a reverse de la Hiva, uh, this is a barambolo, and this is like teaching a six-year-old intermediate. Like, this is what you have to defend nowadays, so it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your own journey in terms of, you know, you started with MMA, and what made you transition from MMA to, gi- to no-gi, and then what made you decide, well, I focused on no-gi for a while, now it's time to do the gi competitions? Well, I did, I did MMA back when MMA was not... A, uh, a novelty. It wasn't something that was in the limelight. It was very, my first matches were like underground in some hotel basement. It was kind of crazy. Um, so it was really hard to find matches. Like I couldn't find fights just 
to it was like I'd fight and then like six months later I might have another fight and then half the time they'd pull out so it was really hard to get fights um, back in like 2004 2005 time frame so to keep my my competition going my uh, the momentum going I would enter all the nogi competitions that I could so it kind of translated more into the MMA style uh, my my nogi was strictly MMA without punches or strikes so it wasn't it wasn't really that good looking back at it, um, but then eventually we all get older and the gi kind of, it's easier, it kind of slows people, I can slow people down, I, I don't have to be um, going Mach 1 or being super athletic like I used to, just use my athleticism to win matches in the new gi, so now it's, I like the gi a lot more, it's a lot more like chess I guess, and we're slowing it down, we're actually thinking about techniques you have, like moving inch by inch instead of just as soon as they say fight, it's just a, a cat fight. Two cats going. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. A lot of the old school guys that got started in that time when MMA was a little bit more underground than it is now. Uh, you know, I talked to some of these folks that got started doing Valley Tudo, and they legitimately don't understand no gi without strikes. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, wait, but I, I don't have a gi on, but I can't punch the guy. Like, it, yeah. And so it's, it's funny to see how the art has changed. And so you're, you know, your school and your professor, you're in the Hibero Association. Yes, sir. Have you had the chance to train with Salo and Shanji or some of their guys? Some of, who, who are some of the, the excellent guys that you've had the chance to train with? Uh, I, I was able to train with Shanji a little bit. Uh, Salo, I've I met, met him and I've hung out with him a little bit up in the, uh, I went out to the Worlds this year, uh, to the Master Worlds, the old guy Worlds, and uh, I hung out with him for a little bit. But uh, some of the, some of the, I, I've, been able to actually roll with a lot of people, especially throughout the military. We've had a lot of the UFC fighters, a lot of the, uh, um, a lot of the the good nogi fighters. Really went out and they like to tour with the the troops. So Randy Couture, uh, Ken Shamrock smashed me so bad. Like that dude is a he's Hulk. Like it was crazy. Um, Tell me about rolling with Ken Shamrock. So Ken Shamrock, we as a martial arts instructor trainer, it's up in Quantico, and that school's up there, and we're teaching all these martial arts instructors how to be instructor trainers so how to how to make instructors and one of the events is just this it's a smash session we just all the trainers just beat up on the on the instructors and just kind of push them out really hard and it's a dark room so I go in there and I was helping and I was, I was going up there as an assistant instructor just hey we got a really tough day you want to come and roll with some guys so I said sure so I I jumped I jumped in a little bit late and it was already dark in there and I kind of tapped this Marine on the shoulder said, hey, I got, I got the next match. So I jump in there, and I roll a little bit, and then I, I jump out, and uh, I sit down, and I look over, and it's Ken Shamrock, who is the actual subject matter expert for the, uh, for the ground fighting for the Marine Corps Martial Arts Program. So I was like, oh, my God, that, that's the first time I've ever seen him, and he's huge. So afterwards, all the instructors stayed, and we all rolled, and he got me in side position. Oh, my God. I, I've never felt that claustrophobic. Like, I just wanted to tap. It wasn't even just, he wasn't just crushing pressure. It was just, like, I felt like I was in a body cast. I could not move anything. I couldn't feel like I could expand my, my chest to breathe. It was it was kind of crazy. Um, it must have been kind of an honor to get to, you know, because Ken, oh, yeah. Ken, uh, Ken is a legend. He's a legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And then just talking with him afterwards and just seeing what his mind frame was. I mean, he's, his mindset is, is what what sets him apart from a lot of the people. It's not just physical, but the way that some of these athletes think. These elite athletes think at a different level than most people. And I think that's what really, that really sets them apart. I mean, obviously they're physically dominating, but, and they got some crazy skill, but they're also, their mental capacity is just, they believe more than anybody else does, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I got to roll with uh, French, um, sorry, um, 
the ace, uh, Rich Franklin. He his grips. He grabbed my wrist. His grips were. I I was in a vice. I I have never been grabbed like that before. And he wasn't even trying to go hard. He was just. He grabbed it, and I tried to shake away a couple times, and I was just. I was in shock. Like I couldn't move my arm, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he he was he was really cool. He wasn't trying to smash anybody. He was he uh, we were down in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, and he came down and visited. And uh, I've heard he's a super cool guy. He's really chill. Uh, he actually hung out like uh, my wife rolls too, and he hung out with us pretty much for three hours and just we went over some stuff. We rolled, and then we went out and we hung out for the rest of the time while he was there. But yeah, he he was. His coach was there. He was like, "Yeah, he was going easy," and I was like, "I don't want to hear that. That was that was not easy. That was that was some some posture, his grips. It was it was crazy." One of the things that you learn over years in in any martial art, but I think especially jujitsu, is the levels that are out there, yeah. where it's like, "Hey, there's this guy that smashes me, and I just saw somebody else make him look like a child." Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. And you you can't even conceive of a guy mm-hmm. that would be that much better than a guy who's that much better. Exactly. Than that, you know. So. Well, that's also what's awesome about this sport is that. You're actually training and you're actually com- competing on the same platform, I guess, that the legends are. Like I, when I was out at the uh, the Master Worlds, you got Shanji on the mat right after I was rolling. Like they, they held the Grand Prix. So he was out on the mats. He was walking around. Rafael Lovato was walking around. Henzo Gracie's walking. Like you're meeting them. You're shaking their hands. You're taking pictures with them. You go to a basketball game. There's no way you're ever on the, the court with LeBron James. Mm-hmm. There's no way he's going to shake everybody's hand. There's no way that you don't know how good he is because you don't get to play even close to that level. Like you said, we're getting smashed by people that Shanji smashes, and then you see Shanji have trouble in a match, and you're like, dang. Yeah, how's that like, happen? What? <laughs> yeah. That's impossible. Yeah, I mean, I love the LeBron James analogy because that is one of the special things about jiu-jitsu. And the other, the other kind of cool thing about jiu-jitsu is it would be the equivalent of LeBron James being like, hey, let me fix your free throw technique. Exactly, yeah. And I'm like, oh, hey, can you, have you thought about doing it this way? Yeah. It's like, man. Or know? coming up and high-fiving you after a jump shot. Like, yeah. whatever. He doesn't. He don't care. <laughs> so other than the, so you've mentioned a couple of legends that you've gotten the chance to train with some high level UFC fighters. Uh, other than the the legends, the folks that people might have heard of, who are some of the best people that you've trained with, or the best people that you've got the chance to learn from that maybe are a little underrated, or maybe the listeners might not have uh, know about as much as someone would know about a, a Ken Shamrock or a Rich Franklin. Uh, oh, that's a tough question. Obviously, you guys know about Philip Wyman. He we've we've been training together since two thousand four. He. He's crazy. He's crazy good. Um, I, you don't get to see all the stuff that he likes to do because of the way that the, the matches are generally set up. And he, he's a fighter, so he'll take a fight on like no, no training whatsoever. He's like, yeah, hey, I got a fight on Saturday. I'm like, dude, it's Thursday. When are you gonna tell me about it? He's like, oh, I just, I just rogered up to him. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, we get on the mats, and he's got different levels. He can roll with, with uh, Christina Lynn, and they'll have a great match. And then he jumps up to to a, a, a huge 250-pound purple belt, and they'll have a great match. And he can turn it up and turn it down, and then he's just he'll, – <laughs> we'll be rolling, and I think I'm getting something on him, and all of a sudden he explodes and just – and all of a sudden on him in a submission. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, Bob Francis is another one. I don't know how many people know about Bob Francis, but he's a, he was a world champion. He won the world championships uh, a few years ago, but – Everything we do in our dojo is, is kind of like, well, what would Bob say about this? Like, would Bob like that? Okay, yeah, and that's that's a good technique. We're always he's he's not really there anymore. He's up in Washington now, so he comes down and visits. But we still have that. Well, what would Bob do? What would Bob do? Moment. So those are two 
that I, I, I've been uh, fortunate enough to, uh, to learn under, which is um, Scott Oates is another big factor. He's, he's, a, uh, he, he's our senior black belt, and he has got some crushing pressure, but he's always very good at critiquing and fixing our game. So he's not trying to impose his game on us and saying, hey, this is how I do it, so this is how you do it. He's always finding a good way of teaching everybody how to improve their game with what he does. So it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, we got a really good um, variety um, in yeah. our dojo. Yeah, it sounds like you have a, a bunch of high-level black belts to learn from and train with. And you mentioned that you're still an active competitor, still have competition goals. And so I'm wondering, do you th- what are your goals over the next one year, two years, five years? Like, it, Are there tournaments that you haven't won that you want to win? Are there things you want to accomplish that you haven't accomplished? Or do you think in those terms? Or do you, uh, do you, do you think in terms of goal setting, or you just show up and compete? Oh, no, I definitely have to be a goal setter. Uh, I need something to, to keep pushing me forward to drive towards. I'll, I'll get super lazy or super slack if I don't have like some sort of goal. And I even like print out pictures and put it on my mirrors and like hey if you want to win this you need to go you need to get up and go go work out so um this year is 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 stacked for me i got a big year um i'll be let's see the next competition i've got a super fight coming up there's a a, it's not official yet we're still working out the details but it's actually in virginia beach so it's right down the road it's a, a fight for life event so the last event they held was really good all the proceeds go to uh an organization the last one was a uh, a to combat um, trafficking, human trafficking. Oh, wow. So they they found that that was the cause they wanted to do last time. So this time it's a uh, it's a uh, an orphanage. So mm-hmm. all the the orphans in Ukraine, I believe, they're gonna they're gonna be donating all the money to to help those orphans in, in Ukraine. So uh, I'm gonna be jumping on that card um, as soon as we get everything hashed out. But that's gonna be coming up on January 12th. Uh, sorry, yep, January 12th. Uh, we got a few local tournaments the Bushido challenge is a in-house habero uh, tournament but we're inviting anybody to show up for that one so we got that one on uh january 13th for the kids january 20th for the adults and then uh i got the what is it ibjjf um atlanta i'm gonna do that one and i'm gonna go out to the pans in march and then from there it's just gonna be like new york uh charlotte dc and then i, I want to get it back out to the worlds mm-hmm. like, that's the one i want i want the uh the world championship so mm-hmm fighting hard for that one yeah most definitely and it's good because you have several months to to repair and so it's like so i'm wondering like you know i know you're you're someone that thinks a lot about nutrition and a lot about uh you know the ways to optimize your performance and so like what's that kind of process like for you what's your thought process what kind of stuff do you do that people might want to know about so i've always been a healthy eater i've always made sure that I, i get the the full supplements in um but Man, when you're training that hard and you're training all those hours, it, it's hard to get enough calorie, the good calories in your body. So um, I've, I've just recently started taking uh, ketones. So um, basically your body goes into ketosis. It's actually it, it's a better source to burn your energy. So your, your body's working at like it, it's not made to burn the, the energy that we're burning now. So when you go into ketosis, it's actually burning the energy that you should be burning. Uh, and it's like a it's a cleaner burn so i'm taking ketones right now and the ketones are amazing they've completely changed the way i feel uh and mostly they've changed the way i sleep um i'm a retired marine so i have a very difficult time sleeping uh, with uh some tbis that i had and some uh, ptsd issues sleeping is not uh my friend so like the last couple years it's been like maybe three hours four hours a night 
So I, I get up and I'm still tired. I'm still exhausted. So in the first couple hours are like a fog that I'm trying to fight through and I'm trying to get my cardio going and all that kind of stuff. So these ketones like put me into an actual deep sleep for the first time in a couple of years. So I feel, I feel like I'm 20 again. Like it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I take those, I take the ketones every day. Um, I'm also, I mean, it's the regular, it's not protein, a lot of protein, a lot of, uh, a lot of healthy fats. And then I try and I try and cut out is basically I say I got to earn my carbs mm -hmm. if I'm gonna if I'm gonna eat some carbs I'm gonna earn it so I'll go I make sure that I got a workout planned for, to burn those or I've killed myself all day and I'll throw some carbs in just to make sure that the protein gets processed correctly mm -hmm. what do you think you got out of your time in the Marine Corps and how did it pr prepare you for where you are now I got a well, I got a lot of uh, the self-discipline is the biggest one out of the Marine Corps self-discipline time management all that type of uh type of skills that that are uh, non-tangible I guess and um, just making sure that I don't need someone telling me what I need to do every day and pushing my pushing me every day it's always like I know I need to get this done and this is how I'm going to get this done uh, and then just the, the mental toughness to get through I know I've done worse I know it's been I've done this in the cold in the rain in the mud while people are shooting at me so it's doing it on training on a mat in the nice warm gym with clean clothes knowing that I'm about to go home and take a shower makes it like okay I can get through this I can get through this training no matter how hard it is no matter how long it is it's not going to be compared to that so it gives me a good reference on how bad things really are right now mm -hmm. I'm going to ask a related question about jujitsu which is what do you think the single most important thing you have learned from jujitsu specifically is let's see the biggest I, it's probably the same answer that everybody gives, but the whole white belt mentality, the e check your ego at the door and always be have that white belt mentality that I can learn from anybody that walks on the mat with me. Um, you get a lot of people who get higher in level and they don't really roll with the lower levels anymore. They don't talk to the lower levels. It's kind of like, hey, this is, a, this is a brown or black belt conversation and you guys are white belts, so you guys don't need to be here. But uh, we're really, really big into the whole everybody was a white belt and everybody um obviously the the bl every black belt was a white belt at some point so we know what they're feeling but at the same time the game is so different nowadays so i'm i'm learning things that i probably should have known as a blue belt i'm learning them from blue belts i'm learning them from purple belt. like oh hey that was why do you put your hand in that, that that grip instead of this one and they'll let me know and i'm like wow that yeah i should have probably known that but thank you for telling me like so uh just keeping that open mind that anybody can teach me. People come from a wrestling background, they got some pretty good takedowns. Somebody comes from a judo background, they got good takedowns. Somebody might just watch the right YouTube video before they walked in the mats, and I can learn something from it. So mm -hmm. that that's, I think every jujitsu fighter should should have that uh, that same mentality, that white belt mentality. You can always learn something. Mm -hmm. There's a lot I want to unpack there. And, th and honestly, that's why we named the show Dirty White Belt. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. to sort of get away from the mentality that like, oh, you know, my belt got a little darker and now I don't have to, to worry exactly. about what the yeah. white belts think, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a constant learning process. And something I've never quite understood is like, for, just from my perspective, <laughs> that I've never understood the mentality of like, okay, I got a purple belt, I got a brown belt, I don't have mm -hmm. to deal with these white belts yeah. anymore. It's like, we were all white belts yeah. and there were purple and brown belts that helped you and, and, and you know yeah. even leaving aside the fact that you can as you say learn from things from those folks as well 
when I was a white belt, man, a purple belt was like God. Like I, yeah. there was like one of them around. And you're like, oh man, he's got a purple belt. I don't even want to be close to him. He's gonna, he's got some sort of magical force. But yeah, um, I don't know. I, I I guess I've never really even been too worried about belts. Like a lot of people are goals or get it get a black belt or I can't. They're wondering when when I'm gonna get promoted or when they're gonna get promoted. It's like. Man, I, I want to win a world championship. I, I just want to go train. I want to mm. get better at jiu-jitsu. It doesn't matter what color I have around my belt or my, my waist. It's not like I show up tomorrow and I get promoted and the next day I'm even better at jiu-jitsu. So it's like I walk in, I train, I'll learn a technique, and it doesn't matter what's around my waist. Purple belts nowadays are – there's purple belts that can beat black belts. Just, I mean, they're so good. For and sure. It doesn't really it, – it's not as big of a factor as I think it used to be. I mean, you get a purple belt back ten, like 10 years ago, and like I said, you were like running the school. Hey, Jeff. Yes, Betsy. I was just thinking about my first tournament with U.S. Grappling in Charlotte. What a great experience that was. And I wanted to ask you what you think makes a terrific first tournament. I think it's important to compete locally first because that way you're surrounded by your friends, by your teammates, by other folks in the community that you know. Competing can be a stressful experience and sometimes it can be a lonely experience, especially if you've traveled to a city you've never been in and don't have your friends around you. But that's not what U.S. Grappling is like. U.S. Grappling has high-level competition, so you can definitely get a challenge, but it's also a supportive environment and it's always the first tournament that I recommend people to start with. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And thank all of you for supporting the folks who support us. Yesterday, we had six uh, brown belts, three purple belts on the mat, and there was like no white belts. Mm. It was kind of crazy. But. Yeah, you know, when I got started training, my instructor was a one-stripe purple belt. And that at the yeah. time, that dude was the man, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, and he, yeah. I mean, he's still the man. He's just a black belt <laughs> now, right? But, uh, but like, at that time, like, if, if a purple belt walked into a gym, people took notice. Oh, man, hey, welcome. Show me some stuff. And now, yeah. you know, like you said, it, it's it's less common than – or it's it's more common than it, than it used to be. Um, the Or, you know, and the other thing that I, I think is wise, like, we were talking about Kasai last night, this Kasai yeah. Pro tournament. Um, Juni Ocasio, who's been on the show, is a purple belt to get into the tournament he beat four black belts yeah. submitted three of them yeah. and it's like and those dudes are not bad at jujitsu <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a but it's inspiring that there's always there's always more to learn in this art um and so you know we, we talked a little bit about your competition goals and i'm wondering do you set teaching goals are there things like do you think in terms of like because it's strange when you're setting goals because you're almost setting goals for another person as well. Yeah. Like, and so I'm wondering if you're like, okay, we want this person to win this tournament or whether it's, or whether you think more in terms of this person has a great guard, but we really need to develop their side control yeah, escapes yeah. or things like that. Do, do you think in those terms? I'll, I'll say yes, because we're, we got both sides of the, the, the coin right there. We got, we've got kids that, that come in and like you said, they, they've got a really good guard or they've got a really good top pressure, but the rest of their game, like they've got, they're a one-trick pony. Their their trick might be really, really good, but we want to develop something else because we know we're gonna, they're gonna run into the situation where they they can't use their trick. But then we also got we got six kids right now that are going out to the uh, the pans in February. So all the kids Pan Ams, those kids we are, that's our goal. So every even when we went up to Richmond yesterday, it wasn't to win a gold medal at Richmond. So some of the kids weren't using what they would normally use in a tournament. Like, hey, if I want to win this tournament, this is what I'm going to do. A, a and B, that's it. But we were making them use X and Y because I wanted to see them do that in a competition against somebody who didn't know what they were going to do. So PANS is our goal right now, and everything else that they do leads up to PANS. So we've put kids in expert divisions or the advanced divisions that 
have never even competed in the the intermediate division. Actually, we had one kid skip, went from beginner all the way to advanced because we wanted that fast pace. We didn't want, uh, and we wanted as many matches as possible, honestly, for him. So um, that's the goal for those six is to win pans. Um, and then for everybody else, I, I just want them to, to get on the mats. I want them to improve by 1%. That's what we tell them every day. If you, if you improve by 1% every time, you train 100 times and you've improved 100%. So just start that over. Just improve, just learn one thing, and then it was a good day of training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a terrific attitude, and I think we would all do well to adopt that perspective. So you mentioned earlier that you know, you're know you an avid competitor yourself, also a teacher, but you kind of get more satisfaction when you see somebody oh, yeah, that yeah. you've taught, you know, yep. get, get that, you know, get get achieve their goal, whether that's, you know, get you know, get better at the armbar, things like that. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the coach award that you're nominated for. And uh, can I play a voicemail from you? So <laughs> yeah, so gonna get embarrassed a little bit. So put on the put on the headphones. Good thing it's not a video. Yeah. No, well, it, uh, th- that's what you think. I vote for that crazy one lunged coach. He's a tournament coach of the year, and that would be Will Lozen from Ribeiro Jiu Jitsu. He screams really loud for a guy with one lung. <laughs> so we got a bunch of voicemails uh, talking about uh, your coaching <laughs> abilities and your passion and. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and so uh, so, do you really only have one lung? Yeah, I only got one lung. Everybody, everybody talks about that a lot, <laughs> especially after like a really tough rolling session. And I get up and walk off to the next guy, and they're like, I can't act tired. That guy's only got one lung. <laughs> How long have you only had one lung? Uh, it's like 12, 13 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. some some issues in the military didn't go the right way, so yeah, I had to get that lung removed. Mm. Does it affect you? It does. Um, honestly, it. There are days where I'll walk in and I just, um, if if I have any congestion in my in my lungs whatsoever. So a lot of people they don't even notice that they have mm-hmm. like a, a little bit of fluid in their lungs, and they don't notice that they have like a, a chest cold. As soon as anything hits that one lung, I'm I'm, I'm you notice. pretty bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I notice. There's a lot of times where I actually don't notice, but somebody else will be like, "Hey, man, uh, you hear? Do you know your lung is crackling?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Like I had a uh, Scott Horn and. Like I had him in north south. I was on top, and I was, I was trying to hold him, and he like he he looked up at me. and was like, "Hey, you all right?" I was like, "Yeah, man. Like, I'm on top. What are you talking about? Like, he's like, oh, I just hear your lung. It's, I hear some wheezing in there. I was like, oh, good, good to know. Let's keep rolling then. But yeah, it does affect me. But when I feel good, I feel great. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I don't feel good, I am down for the count. Like, most important question about that voicemail: Is it true that you <laughs> actually do yell that loud? I don't think. I, <laughs> apparently, I guess so. Yeah, I, I do. Well, I guess I do. But it's usually like the same three things. Up, 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 get on top. And then I'm yelling out whatever submission I want them to hit. But yeah, yeah, I, I get pretty excited for my kids' matches. I, I, won't, I won't lie. Well, all those things are pretty uh, pretty important advice. Stay on top, get up, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, hit the, the submission. scrambles, man. Woo! Up, 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 up. It's funny, John, John Shell, who we've uh, had on the show several times, who's also, you know, an avid competitive brown belt, you know, he, people, John does not understand how loud he is, but it's just his, <laughs> it's just his passion coming yeah. out, right? And yeah. it's like, it's like, I would rather have somebody care too much yeah, <laughs> than, yeah. than, than care too little. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just talking about the, the, the coaching, like, has it been cool to feel the support from, uh, you know, the parents of the kids you coach in terms of, you, you know, validation, the things you do? I've, I mean, I've always felt the, uh, the validation through the, the parents that are always coming up to me and telling me, I, like, they really appreciate the way that, not only the way I coach their child, but the way I treat their children. Like, 
I'll call the kid, sir, ma'am. Like, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Like, I want, I want to instill those, those traits and those disciplines in them. And I don't feel like that's only an adult thing. Like, I think if kids get treated with mutual respect, then they will, they'll, they're more likely to, they'll call me, sir. If I'm, hey, thank you, sir. Going back right to them. And I'm not trying to, to, to lower their stature, but, uh, now being nominated for this award was really shocking. I was like, whoa, wait, what, me? I'm not even the owner of this school. Like, I'm not even, like, the head coaches. I just kind of – I just coach. But, uh, no, it was, it was truly an honor, and I was, I was really taken back. So um, the nominees and whoever's called in, I really appreciate all that, that support. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we wanted to do is that, yeah, because even though, you know, jujitsu is vast, even though it's a, sort of a niche martial art. And so even though we focus like just on the Southeast, one of the reasons we wanted to have these awards is to learn about people that other people are like, wow, I admire that person. Yeah. You know, this is yeah, somebody yeah. that's doing really good work in the community. And that's something that, that we've, um, that, that, that's really been successful, I think. And so that's exciting. Um, the, the thing that I would ask is someone who is a well-respected kids coach, like what, what is a, what advice would you have for someone that's just starting to coach kids or what do you think what do you wish you could change about the way that you see kids being coached uh, you know not not the, just in terms of adv- general advice for people either that are starting their own kids program or people that maybe have an, a newish kids program what advice do you would you have for other kids coaches uh the bigger one obviously just to have a lot of patience with the kids uh but at the same time there needs to be a lot of discipline because that's what that's honestly what the the parents and the kids need at that moment was when they're first starting is is the discipline and it carries over to home like a lot of times when a kid gets in trouble at school that i'll i'll re-emphasize the fact that that was wrong at the dojo so we'll let him do warm-ups and if it's really bad we'll tell him to sit out of the technique so now he's going to do good in school just so he can do good in jiu-jitsu um so just the well-roundedness uh i see a lot of um schools that that just just focus on competition or just like hammering everything you have to compete you have to do this and it's not every kid's goal to compete so we really um i make sure that i always talk about the kids that are not competing on how much they're helping the kids that are competing so they feel like they're still part of the team even though they're not traveling and they're not competing um so just making it making it feel like a family mm-hmm. um i'd say the coaching part I, I see a lot of great coaches when when i go to the, the tournaments there's there's amazing coaches everywhere uh i haven't really ran into anything where i'm like wow i definitely wouldn't do that uh some of the coaches get a little excited and kind of they they seem like they're yelling at their student instead of yelling for their student. So when I'm saying up, 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 it's usually scramble and I'm excited. Like I'm trying to get them excited. I'm not, I've seen a couple where they're like, get up, mm-hmm. just get up now. And I'm like, dude, have you ever been <laughs> yeah. underneath somebody like where you can't move? That's how your kid feels right now. Like, I don't even know if you do jujitsu because yelling for me to get up is not helping. Like I can't tell me how or to stop yelling at me. Like, so they're, that kind of frustrates me when the poor kid is like just their legs are flailing everywhere. You know they're trying to get up. They just that's some good side pressure, man. No, exactly. <laughs> like I mean, I've been you know I, I I was at a tournament once where I was underneath a, a pretty tough guy, and one of the white belts that I coached was like, "Get up, Jeff, get up!" <laughs> and and I looked at him and I was like, "You get up." Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, I went to a I was in a absolute division and. Uh, I was going against this huge purple belt. Like, this dude was, and he wasn't, he was jacked. Like, mm-hmm. this, he could have just picked me up and just t- took my arm by the wrist and the shoulder and just snapped me in an arm bar. Like, he was huge. And I looked at my coach, uh, Professor Wyman, and he patted me on my back and he just said, uh, be smart. And I was like, oh, 
That that's awesome. So that's that's our new that's our new our coaching motto. Every time we don't know what to say, we're just like, uh, be smart. Yeah, no, there you go. It's, <laughs> it's never like, bad advice. Yeah, yeah, I walked on the mat like, oh, well, yeah. he couldn't even give me a tip. So here we go. Let's <laughs> let's do this. Yeah, I got Kamora pretty quick. Thanks, coach. Now I'm a smart fighter. <laughs> yeah. You know. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. So you, one thing you mentioned that I want to follow up on, which is it's not every kid's goal to compete. It's yeah. not every Jujitero or Jujitero's exactly. goal to compete, no, no, right? No. And so, like, you're obviously someone that has a background in all forms of martial arts. So where do you come down on this sport self-defense deal? Do you think that everybody has to learn some self-defense and then competition is an expression of that? Do you think competition helps with self-defense? Um, uh, you know, what's your take on this sort of stuff? Obviously, I think when you walk into the dojo, you know what you want. And I think as long as you... Inst- express that to your instructor, your professor, your coach. Um, that should be what they gear your experience to. However, martial arts is a self-defense technique, a mechanism. So you should be learning how to defend yourself properly. Um, sport, I don't know if sport jiu-jitsu necessarily um, reinforces the, the self-defense aspect because obviously there's a lot of crazy guards nowadays that if you do that in the streets, you're, you're not going to be very successful. However, it, it does instill the confidence. It instills that, that interpersonal violence is really what it, like, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with people being in my personal space where you walk on day one. That's not, that's not necessarily true, but mm-hmm. through the competition, and it's, it's one thing to be comfortable when you're actually training with somebody you know or you get to pick out your partner. It's like, I'm going to roll with her or I want to roll with him. or that's, that's pretty easy, but when you get to the tournament, you don't know who you're rolling against. You've never met this person before in your life. So, that, I mean, it instills the confidence and the discipline um, in the martial arts, but I don't think it necessarily translates into, well, you have to compete in order to know that your technique works. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think it really, I mean, if someone's coming in and paying $100, they should be getting their jiu-jitsu tailored to what their their uh, goal is. If you're coming in because you need more confidence or you want self-defense or you – I've done self-defense for – 20 years in the Marine Corps, honestly, when I got out of the Marine Corps, my, my goal has been sport jiu-jitsu. And I, we talk, there's some days where like, hey, we're going to go over some hand-to-hand combatives. And I'm like, I might just take that as a rust date because I just don't feel like doing that anymore. So I think you just tailor it to what you want. You tailor it to what your clients want or your, your, uh, your students want. And, and, and I think that's the way, it, that's the way I, I treat it. Mm-hmm. kid wants to compete, I will make him the greatest competitor that I can. If a kid comes in and he just wants to roll, I'm going to... I'm going to make it as enjoyable and, and as uh, beneficial for him as I can. I'm not going to make him a competitor if he doesn't want to be one. Mm-hmm. No, that makes perfect sense to me. And so we've talked a little bit about your philosophy, about sort of the overarching structure from where you approach martial arts. Let's talk a little bit about technique at a more granular level. Are there certain techniques that you consider your A-game techniques that oh, you're yeah. like, yeah, that like, and, and what are those techniques and what do you think about them resonates with you? Uh, if... if if anybody knows me, especially in the 757, they know that I go to the triangle. I am a triangle guy. And it's not a triangle choke guy. Uh, a lot of people get that confused. They're like, oh, man, he's really good at the triangle choke. I barely ever get the triangle choke. 
I use it as a guard. So instead of controlling the hips with a closed guard, I just throw one over the shoulder. Now I'm controlling the shoulders with a closed guard, but I'm still attacking the razor. I'm attacking arm bars. I'm attacking Kimura from my, my closed guard or that's around the neck. And then hey, if six minutes goes by, eight minutes goes by, and the match is over, I win by an advantage. Cool, because they had to defend the triangle choke. But yeah, the triangle and then hitting anything off of that triangle. So my game has developed. How do I get to my triangle? So I'm working from every position. When I learn something, I'm like, okay, now I got that. How do I get to my triangle from there? Or how do I go from my triangle to that? So, um, yeah, and yesterday my son hit the triangle for the first time. And, oh, my God, he was, he was more ecstatic that he won by triangle than he, he won the medal. Like, he was like, first thing we did when we got home, he ran in the door. Mom, 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 I won with the triangle. Like, yeah. not even, hey, I got first place. I got whatever. It's, I won with a triangle. It's pretty cool. Did dad's technique? That oh, yeah, and I wasn't even teaching that. Like he's not a triangle guy. He's a he's a he's a habero kid. Like he takes somebody down, he top pressure, gets them out, and works from there. So he finished kid with a triangle from his guard, and he was like he was ecstatic. I was kind of like, well, wait, what was that? <laughs> he is triangle somebody. Like that's not what he does. It was pretty cool. That is awesome. You know, I've always found it interesting, like, what techniques people gravitate to, because, like, sometimes you, you would think if, like, somebody's dad is a triangle guy, that yeah. person's going to be a triangle guy. Or you would think that it's all body type. Yeah. And and what's strange to me, like, so my instructor is six foot five or somewhere in there. Everybody over five foot eight looks the same <laughs> yeah. to me. Giants. And, right, exactly. And, like, I'm five foot six, like, 145 pounds. He's, like, this huge dude with huge limbs, like, a lot mm -hmm. of length. And so people look at him and they assume, oh, he's a triangle guy. He's going to pull spider guard he's gonna extend me out and it's like and he can he can do those things but like he's a hoist gracie guy and so he wants to take you down get on top yep. of you and smash, smash. you with heavy yeah. pressure and it's like and, and people look at the little guy and like i'm the dude in the gym that does spider guard and yep. i'm like yeah i got oh, stubby yeah. legs but i do spider guard so yeah well it's kind of crazy because i love the triangle but i'm also a habero guy so in competition i'm i'm gonna take you down i'm mm -hmm. gonna get to the top i'm gonna smash to the, i'm gonna smash my way to mount and then i'm gonna work from there but in the gym, I'm I'm one of the smaller guys, and I get bulldozed. So I'm I'm throwing my triangle all the time. I'm I'm usually getting put on my back and, and working the triangle. But in competition, no, I I don't like to. If I'm using my triangle, that means that Plan A did not work, and I couldn't get the takedown, and I couldn't get to the mount. Yeah. So, so like, what, one question: Being a Hibero guy, and you know, obviously, name with much much respect in the sport. What does lineage mean to you as somebody that that exists in the Hibero lineage? Oh, uh, I. It's like family. Like if you don't know who your grandfather is, then then you don't really know who your family is. You don't know where you came from. You don't know where, how it got to you. So, and uh, I mean I'm in Habero family, so it's not that old. We're not we don't we're not a really old family. Um, so, but I I know where my lineage is, and I think everybody really should. I think lineage is huge when you're like saying, oh yeah, I, I train under this black belt, and you're like, oh, well, where'd he get his black belt from? Well, I don't know kind of like oh well i don't really know who that black belt is but i know i a lot of people don't know who professor wyman is per se but they know who solo is mm. so if if solo habero gives somebody a black belt that person's legit now so uh, i think i think lineage is huge um i'm i'm excited whenever i do get my black belt that it's going to be under professor wyman and then he's going to be under uh solo habero so it's an exciting lineage and i'm going to make sure that any of my students know exactly what it is and we talk about that a lot. Before you can get your blue belt, you have to. We have like a history lesson, an exam that you have to know. You have to know our lineage. You have to know the six blades. You have to know everything with the association, and not just hey, do this technique. We can teach. All our kids know already know that technique, but to be a blue belt, you need to know a little bit more. So. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I, I and I think that you know, especially 
you know, given that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is such a relatively recent development yeah. in the martial arts, we can still trace it back to, oh, yeah. and so there's no, really no excuse to not like exactly. learn yeah, all those yeah. aspects. Yeah. Christmas is coming, and it's time to get gifts for the grappler in your life. Every year at DirtyWhiteBelt.com on the blog, we have a grappler's gift guide, and we want your suggestions, so be sure and tell us what you want for Christmas. But I'll tell you, on ToroBJJ.com right now, I see a bunch of things that would be really useful, including a Toro BJJ dress belt, a brand new Toro gi, or some of the sweet rash guards you can get from the best people with the best customer service around. Shop online at ToroBJJ.com, and be sure to watch DirtyWhiteBelt.com for our grappler's gift guide this year. I, I like what uh, Salvador Barro said about that too. Is like we don't call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu anymore because it's coming from everywhere now. It's like Asia's, Europe's got some crazy Jiu-Jitsu. America, I mean, we're developing Jiu-Jitsu at like the craziest rate. So yeah, I, I like the term just Jiu-Jitsu now. But a lot of people don't understand when I say Jiu-Jitsu. They're like, "Oh, you mean Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu?" I'm like, "Oh, it used Sorta. to be. Yeah, yeah. it came from there, but it's pretty crazy now. It's like." It's like calling it American baseball. Like everybody does baseball now, so it's not. It's just baseball. Yeah, and you know, that, that's an interesting point. And like one of the things, as someone that is a huge history guy, and that you know, I just love history generally, particularly yeah. martial arts history. It's interesting, uh, and to see all the way the people deploy these terms in different ways. Like you know, the Jap- jujitsu, obviously a Japanese term. Yeah. And but then you know it's undeniable that the Gracies and the Brazilians transformed it. Yes. And so now you see people use terms that are kind of like politically charged almost. When some people will say like a lot of people will say Gracie Jiu Jitsu is yep. distinct from Brazilian Jiu Jitsu because Gracie Jiu Jitsu includes the self defense elements mm-hmm. and it's all the sort of valetudo fighting. But but I also do I, I and you know and I can see that. I can also distinct. I, I certainly agree that as Jiu Jitsu grows and you have because it's not like the learning ever stops. And so yeah, now yeah. you know you have you, the yep. Brazilians come to America. They teach a bunch of Americans. Now you have all these labs of experimentation to do all this other really exactly, amazing yeah. stuff. And, and you're starting to see a lot of like wrestlers transition into jujitsu. So they've got a different type of top game. They got a different like the sprawl, like the, all the Doris and Peruvian stuff. They love that. And then you got your nowadays. It's like if you go nogi, it's all ankle locks, all yeah. heel hooks, all like that. I can't even do that anymore. Like that's I think that's a big reason why I got out of nogi is just. Uh, one of my my last big matches, I actually against, went against Ryan Hall. Oh wow! Yeah, he destroyed my knee with a like an inverted reversed heel hook. I don't even know what happened. He was we were just rolling a bunch of circles. I kept trying to squirm out of all his his fifty fifty heel hooks, and uh, he caught me with one real good and, and kind of popped my knee, blew it out a little bit. So after that, I was I've been shy with the nogi. Wait, so so this was this was a competition match you yeah, had yeah, with yeah. Ryan Hall, and yep. like wow, did you have to have surgery? Yeah. Yeah, it was a there was a there was a little bit of damage to my meniscus, um, but yeah, they had to surgically repair that. Just mm-hmm. I mean, I was in the Marine Corps at the time, so it was uh, okay. Yeah, they. What year I was think this? they like to, to oh. <laughs> cut you open and do some surgery. <laughs> I've had a bunch in the Marine Corps, and I'm, I'm talking to people, and they have the same injuries, and they're like, "No, my doctor said I can just uh, rehab it." I'm like, "Wait, what?" It's funny because I, I do think like if you're trained in a particular skill, then you want to use that skill. Yeah. And so a lot of people that are surgeons are like, you know, it would be good for that. <laughs> a whole knife. Yeah, right. Yeah. Surgery. Uh, so about what year did you have that injury? Uh, that was, what was that, 2012, mm. 2012 or 13, something like that. Yeah. It's funny because I can tell already you're smarter than me because like I, <laughs> I'm i 43 and like I'm just, just in the last year or two, I've really gotten into leg locks. Like they're yeah. really exciting because like before, you know, I wrestled a little bit in high school and so I, 
and so like obviously no gi jiu-jitsu and wrestling are, are different yeah but i, I w- it was sort of like i was more excited to do the gi because i was like oh this is unlike anything i've ever done before mm-hmm. and there's so many different strategic elements and so now i've almost come back full circle but I'm like, okay, wait, but there are fewer submissions available because I can't collar choke the guy. I can't bow and arrow choke the guy. Yeah. I can't, you know, hit loop chokes and stuff. And so what do I got? Oh, leg locks. Lots of legs. Yeah, yeah. people love legs. And, and, and so it's fascinating. It's almost its own little world. But, like, as an old man with old man knees, yeah. I also got to tap really fast. Yeah. So well, that's, that's what makes it very difficult to tap or to train with because you don't have a leg lock until you have that leg lock. So mm. it's really hard. To, like an arm bar, I can catch and release that. But I don't really know if I have that heel hook. I don't know if I got the hips pin and the knee isolated very well until they have to tap. And it, a lot of times people don't know until it's too late and wreck wreck people's careers just over a training session, not knowing if I had the the cho- or the uh, the heel or not. Yeah, and that's what really makes me nervous about it is that the injuries that I have seen from leg locks are not even the leg locker doing anything wrong necessarily, yeah. but the other person being unfamiliar with exactly. the technique and moving in the or wrong direction. And moving like, in the wrong direction or feeling like, oh, no, it doesn't hurt too bad. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. right. Yep, should have talked about three seconds ago. Yeah, I always tell folks, like, like you know, we've all, I think most people, like, if you train long enough, you'll have your elbow popped. And, and you're like, ah, it sucks. I'm going to ice it. I'll be back mm-hmm. on the mats in a week, two weeks. Yeah. It's like, leg's not like that. No, because you've got to use it to get anywhere. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't just mm-hmm. not use it. I'm a fan of walking. Yeah. <laughs> so, I prefer that, too. Yeah, huge fan. Fan. So, um, so in the in the five or six minutes that we have left, I'm curious. Do you have anything that I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about? Let me see. Uh, we we pretty much covered everything. I just want to another shout out with your with your uh, your contest. I think that's awesome. You're you're actually bringing jujitsu, like you said, is such a young sport and it's such a behind the scenes or underground sport nowadays. Everybody knows all the UFC fighters. Everybody knows all that, but but presenting all the these people like you said that maybe people don't don't know about uh, i think it's an amazing thing um i know seeing my name on there i was like wait what me no <laughs> no way so i'm sure there's a, everybody else on that list there's there's got to be like 70 percent of them like wow first time i'm getting a shout out in a long in in my whole career uh for, for some sort of award it's kind of crazy we got christina lynn on there i think that girl is amazing like she's my hero and she's like 12 years old so <laughs> I, I go in there i mean not just because of her jujitsu skills, but that girl has the kindest heart. Like you would think, a twelve-year-old who's got like, she could fill up this room with all the medals and belts she has. Um, she would come in and have some sort of ego, or she'd be cocky. But not, she's she's on the mats training the, I want to say new generation, but she's twelve. So like training the eight-year-old, <laughs> ten-year-old, yeah, the up-and-coming kids. Like she's in there working with them like she's an adult. Um, she never talks about herself. She's she's. I mean, I think she's just painfully shy so she's afraid to talk about herself but man she gets on the mat and she's just a beast there's i would love to see a her in a match where it's like i haven't seen her pushed for a long time Mm -hmm. uh, against another kid uh i don't know if that's just due to like just trying to find the right kid or somebody who just actually wants to step up and is willing to put their undefeated record on the line against her because she's willing to travel wherever she's willing to do whatever it takes um her dad is dedicated he's taking her out to texas he's taking her all over trying to find her fights so um since i have you as her coach in the studio i'm gonna ask you what do, what do you think the reason like you've talked about you know how good she is how excited yeah. you are for her future what do you think the traits are that make christina lynn successful number one is that girl is dedicated she is 100 percent dedicated from the moment she wakes up to the moment she goes to sleep she thinks about how to be the best version of herself and she's never She's never compl- um, she's never happy with where she is. 
if she does something and it's not 100% perfect, she'll do it again and do it again and do it again. And when it is perfect, it's not perfect to her. So just that that whole uh, the mindset, Kaizen, just continual improvement is is her number one trait. And the fact that she doesn't have that big head, she doesn't think, oh, well, I, no, I'm a world champion. I don't need to worry about that. Or I, she's working the basics every day. She's drilling the basics. She's teaching the basics to the, to the younger kids every day. I think that makes her... That's what makes her truly great. She's not an athletic freak. She's not a, she's not just some jujitsu phenom. She is the hardest worker I have ever seen in my life. And that, I mean, that's in the Marine Corps, out of the Marine Corps, MMA fighter. Everywhere I've been, this 12-year-old girl is the hardest worker I have ever seen in my entire life. Well, that's you know, given some of the names that you and I have talked about, yeah. that's a pretty that's a pretty bold statement. Yeah. So I'm excited to see in 10 years. I'm excited to see where she's going to be. Well, I'm excited to see where you're going to be a year from now and two years from now. And good luck with your competitions this year and good luck leading up to the Masters Worlds. I hope you get that world championship. Yes, sir. Thank you. Any final words for for folks? Any final shout outs for folks back home? Uh, Just thank you guys for uh, anybody who's voted for anybody on this this contest coming up. And thanks for listening. And I appreciate the, uh, the invite down here. It's, a, it's been great having you in the studio. Um, my guest has been Will Lachine. Will is the coach uh, is a, of Hibero Jiu-Jitsu. He coaches Christina Lin, a bunch of the other names that you heard. Um, you can you can uh, see Will compete all up and down the eastern seaboard coming up really soon, and uh, I want to thank him for making the trip. This has been another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. I'm going to mention a couple of things that are coming up. First of all, we're going to have a couple bonus shows in the next few weeks. As the year winds down, we uh, we talked about the awards, and I'll finish up talking about the awards in just a second. But as the year winds down, we have a bunch of great interviews that Lourdes has done that I want to make sure get out to you. One of those is going to be with former UFC fighter Miguel Torres, who breaks some news on the show and does a really thoughtful 30-minute interview with Lourdes. So that'll be out in the next week or so. We're also going to have a bunch of interviews from the Kasai Pro. Uh, Lourdes talked to Henato Canuto, who won the event, uh, Raquel Paolui Canuto, who won the super fight at the event against our very own Caitlin Huggins, talked with Junio Casio and a bunch of the other folks up there. So watch for some of those shorter episodes coming out. And finally, the last two shows for the year are going to be the Triangle Jiu-Jitsu 10th anniversary show. The school that I train at, Triangle Jiu-Jitsu in Durham, North Carolina, is turning 10. As soon as I put down this microphone, I'm going over to train with my brothers and sisters at TJJ for our holiday party. And we're going to be doing a story about um, about that and about how that school has lasted 10 years. The final show of the, of the year that we're going to put out is going to be December 17th, which is going to be uh, the Dirty White Belt Radio Awards. A bunch of you sent in voicemails. Will thanked everyone who sent in voicemails. I want to thank you as well. We got several dozen voicemails from people giving shouts out to the people that they thought deserved to win. Um, we're going to have, a, a, I'm gonna, I'll mention this too. So we wanted to give everybody um, that was nominated that became a finalist a finalist certificate. So we're going to send out all those finalist certificates. But we're also going to have a traveling trophy. So whoever wins this year, um, I've ordered some trophies uh, with these perpetual plaques so you can add engraved plaques every year and so the winners of those awards are going to get those plaques in their gym for a year and then they're going to pass them on to the folks who win next year so hopefully this can be a positive thing for years to come to recognize the people working hard in the community to make a difference to change lives through jujitsu so watch for that we will be back at you in the new year after those shows air with our first show either being january 7th or january 14th depending on what's go on what goes on we urge you to uh, like the show on Facebook at Cage Side Radio, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you are so moved, you can sign up to support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt. 
Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw, and we will see you all next week.